Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Tennis and Bigos podcast. And we are pretty excited. Um, well, first of all, a lot of the second week in Roland Garros has been pretty amazing in, in all honesty. We've had amazing matches in both um, uh, men's and women's draw. And uh, just today, as we're recording this, um, we had two super semifinals. Well, not two, but like at least one super semifinal between uh, Maria Sakari and um, Cray. I, I, I'm really bad at pronouncing names sometimes. Like, can you can you help me out with this? Like, Cray, Cray, yeah, Cray, I, I think Cray Chikova. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That one. But we, today we are not here to speak about um, draws or anything like that. We are here about one specific event that has essentially marked the entire uh, 2010s decade. And it's the um, rivalry between Djokovic and Nadal, which is about to resume again in their 58th meeting. Uh, and currently they are tied. They are not tied there. Uh, Djokovic leads twenty nine to twenty eight, and there's so much on the line. It's it, we could just essentially be listing things for the next hour. But um, I'll let Owen go ahead and uh, make a little bit of a, a summary. And uh, and by the way, Vansh is not here today again with us. He, otherwise, he would be spitting stats from from the get go, and then this podcast would last for two hours. But. Uh, <laughs> We'll let Owen uh, go for the, the summary. And uh, Varnish, I hope you're feeling really jealous and uh, so that you can come back next time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll try to pick up the slack. Um, yeah, this is the most prolific ATP rivalry of all time. And I think overall it's second behind um, Everett and Navratilova. This is going to be the 58th meeting, like you said. Uh, Djokovic leads 29-28. Um, on grass, they're tied 2-2. Djokovic leads 20-7 on hard court. And Nadal leads nineteen to seven on clay court, so it could become perfectly symmetrical if he wins tomorrow. And yeah, this is going to be, I think, the ninth time they've played at Roland Garros. They've played eight times previously, with Nadal winning seven of them. It'll be their seventeenth meeting in a major, I think, with Nadal currently leading ten six. Um, I mean, yeah, there's so much on the line because not so much in the overall head to head because. Like that's been back and forth, not really back and forth actually, because um, Nadal was ahead for a while, and then Djokovic, since he went ahead at the start of 2016, 24, 23, Nadal hasn't been able to tie it. Um, this will probably be the best chance he's gotten, but like historically, there's a lot on the line here because Nadal is aiming for his 21st major, Djokovic is aiming for a second Roland Garros, which would give him the double career Grand Slam. He'd be the only one of the big three to have that. And while the semifinal doesn't quite feel like a de facto final, because uh, Tsitsipas and Zverev have been good on clay, especially Tsitsipas, and they could be tough finalists, the winner of the semi um, is still definitely going to be the favorite in the final. So yeah, there could hardly be more on the line in this one. Yeah. And um, two things that I want to point out, like one is that uh, 
Djokovic, should he win this tournament, not this match, obviously, it's the semifinal. Uh, if he, should he win the final and grab his second Roland Garros, it would also mean that uh, he'll be just one slam uh, behind Nadal and Federer. And yeah. chances would be much better for him to actually tie um, tie them. Although, uh, should Djokovic probably, like, suppose like Djokovic wins um, Roland Garros and Wimbledon, I feel like his chances would be pretty slim at winning the US Open at that point. Um, and I would probably give that one, again, to potentially Nadal. His has been doing pretty decently, honestly, at the US Open in the recent years. Um so so yeah, like that that's one of the the things. And the other uh important fact about I guess their their rivalry is that how from a few years back, like uh, let's say suppose um I think it's about since 2016-15 that um they've been more and more dominant on their favorite surfaces. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably less and less challenging on the other ones because <laughs> it's uh, jo- I, I think now hasn't been Djokovic on Harcourt since God knows how long and 2013 US Open. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Djokovic hasn't beaten Nadal and Clay since 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Rome quarterfinal. Yeah. yeah. And uh Nadal has gotten Djokovic a pretty pretty good beating uh last last year's Roland Garros when lots of people were definitely thinking Djokovic was going to win that match, or at least it was gonna be much closer than what it ended up being. So yeah, I'm just gonna go right off the bat and say that I don't really believe in Djokovic's chances. <laughs> I was tell- I was telling Owen right before. Um, I was thinking that if should Djokovic beat Berrettini in three straight sets and convincingly at least take that tiebreak that he lost and he played extremely uncharacteristically and with 25% of the confidence that he played it the rest of the match, I-, I would have probably seen this match as a little bit more of a a contest. But like I. The more I think about like Nadal's confidence on clay and uh, and the fact that he he only he's only lost two matches in in Roland Garros, um, even though one of them were against Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic hasn't really been able to get too too much off of Rafa, even though the Rome final, which is something that I know Owen wants to talk about, um, is kind of like telling that Djokovic does have the level. Um, everything seems to always be a little bit different at Roland Garros, so. I don't know. It feels like Djokovic definitely has, even though Djokovic is Djokovic, I would say he has a, a mountain to climb here. So, yeah, he, he definitely does. I think, I mean, something in his favor is that if you were trying to like pick someone to beat Rafa at Roland Garros, I think you would pick Djokovic. But with the challenge being as big as it is, this sort of like raises their chances from like really small to only slightly less small, I think. Um, so, like, he does have that in his favor. He has beaten Rafa at Roland Garros before in 2015. Although that was, I think, I don't put much stock in that in terms of this matchup because that was Djokovic's best year and Rafa's worst. And so I think a match they played in, say, I don't know, 2014, 2012, uh, might be much more representative than that match was. And I think I, I think Djokovic definitely does have a chance to win. Like Like you said, he made the Rome final competitive. He knows, in a sense, like what he needs to do to get some traction in this match. He's won lots of sets, even in the matches he's lost. He won a set in 2012, two in 2013, one in 2014. So it's not like he's never made a match competitive with Rafa on clay. But at the same time, something I was thinking about 
is I think it's going to be really, really dangerous if he goes into the match with a mindset, I just need to play my best and then I can win. Because I don't really think that's a good way for him to go in. I guess if you look back at all the matches he's played against Rafa at the front, like, yes, he won in 2015, but in every other match they've played when Rafa's been closer to his best, like, Djokovic hasn't been able to beat him. Like, he's lost all seven when Rafa has brought a pretty good level. And so from that, I feel like I can draw the conclusion, like, even if Djokovic hasn't reached his best, I think seven matches is a good enough sample size that we can say it's not going to happen this time. Um, So I think if he goes in thinking, you know, I just need to do what I did before and just like cut down on the errors. I think it's clear by now that he's not going to be able to do that to the extent that he needs to to win the match. So I do think he needs to go in with a tactical change rather than just the mindset of um, I need to play my best. Um, what are your thoughts on that? That's interesting because I've never really thought about this because um, as soon as I guess like when we're talking about like Rafa Nadal and Roland Garros, um, the one comment that normally surfaces is that like, player player b needs to um raise his level above the stars to be able to beat nadal like mm-hmm. uh on clay but i think that you really point out like something that is rarely talked about and obviously like players never want to really give up like their tactical changes and their tactical like um plans and ideas before a match um especially of this magnitude it it always ends up being like oh i just need to play i just need to bring my a game and and see what happens type of thing <laughs> but it's a uh, it, yeah, it, it definitely he needs to make that tactical change, but I feel like he definitely needs to probably put it to um, close to perfection, and yeah. obviously needs to have the mentality and emotion, emotional control to, well, the mental fortitude and emotional control to not let um, tough moments get to him. For example, he's obviously not not gonna get all the breaks that he needs. He's he may even serve for the set once and, and get broken. Um, and Nadal ties it up again. So I feel like this is the type of stuff that he needs to like not let it get to him. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know that um, Nadal has won. One, he has a ton of confidence at Roland Garros. Two, has a ton of confidence in clay. Uh, and three, has a ton of confidence um, against Djokovic on clay, especially at Roland Garros. So it's, it's, nothing, it's, not, it's nothing like um, Nadal is going to be like, even if Nadal goes down, I said he's going to be okay. I've done this before. I've been here before. I know I yeah. can do this. Like Nadal has one thing in his mind is that he knows that he can beat anyone on, on at that stage at that uh, court. And Djokovic does not have that. He he's he's definitely like out of his element, I guess. Like he obviously is a really good clay uh, court player, but he's out of his element when it comes to like comparing against Nadal. Um, he's not um, like he would be in Australia or even at Wimbledon where. Um, you would probably like pick probably Djokovic to win, and and suppose Nadal can make a, a difference with tactical changes. At this point, is is the contrary. So Nadal can win playing his A game, um, and Djokovic has to make the changes. Djokovic needs to take this match um, in a different approach, and I I think I fully agree with you on that. On honestly, yeah, like I think. Um, And I'm glad you brought up sort of the big moments because something I was thinking about as well is that in the big moments, Djokovic is going to have to be extremely disciplined if he wants to be able to win this match. Like everyone remembers um, that he double faulted on championship point against Nadal in the French Open final and not only 2012, but 2014 as well. And last year when he was serving at five all in the third, he double faulted on break point. It's like things like that just can't happen. Um, Like, and if we go back to the Rome final, 
it's smaller stuff too. Like uh, when Rafa was serving for the first set at like six five thirty all, uh, Djokovic decided to moonball like into his forehand, and he immediately got killed for that. And he double faulted at five all and forty thirty, and ended up getting broken. And even points that might not seem nearly as big, like when Djokovic had a break early in that first set of the Rome final, he had two zero and fifteen all, and he sent like a bad approach shot to Nadal's forehand and got passed. Like um, even little stuff like that. Djokovic needs to be extremely disciplined, like execute his game plan so that Nadal has to really earn those big points. And that's going to increase the chance that Nadal makes an error when he sees that he's going to have to do a lot. Because if Djokovic hands Nadal a big point, um, it's just going to be so much harder for him. Since he's the underdog here, he needs to win every big point he can. And to do that, he needs to play them at the absolute best of his ability. So double faults, uh, first ball errors are just not going to cut it. Hmm. yeah i i feel like there's two two things as well like when you say like uh if you take the case of the approach shot i I think there's two things that Djokovic need to do is like he needs to have um well two at least like he needs to have a a clearness of mind he needs to have the clarity of mind and he needs to commit because if because if you ever play tennis you know that if you don't commit to a shot you're gonna play a a bad shot Mm -hmm. even if you even if you play it to the direction that you want you know that it's not gonna have the pace that you want, the shape that you want, the depth that you want. It's it's just going to come out all, all wrong and Nadal is all over that. And yeah, um, for the clarity of mind also that he, it's, it's also the fact that like he can't let um, Nadal's aura just get to him because like when you go to the approach shot, he cannot he cannot let himself be rushed by it because right. Nadal is, is there and he's waiting. He's focusing so hard and you know that Nadal believes that he can get to that shot no matter what. Um, so... Djokovic needs to play knowing that Nadal is most likely going to get to that ball. And most likely Nadal is going to believe that he's going to win that point, regardless of the position that he's in. Um, mm-hmm. Hence, like the vast amount of uh, uh, overheads that the, the players hit against Nadal. He just like hits back and forehand down the right. line is ridiculous. <laughs> Probably one of the most, um, one of the most infuri- infuriating shots to to be on the other side of the net against is that that forehand. Like you feel like you win the point and it just comes back with interest. It's not even a defensive shot; it's an attacking shot. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and um, yeah. So like, what I would really like to see from Djokovic on big points is, I mean, not only not really making errors, but just like fully committing to his game plan. Like, if say he's down break point, I would like to see him try to pin Nadal in his backhand corner. And if Nadal can like bust out of backhand jail by like hitting an amazing backhand, then you say too good, but mm-hmm. like, don't give him a chance to beat you with the forehand and like, don't make an error early in the point because then you're giving him help and Nadal doesn't already doesn't need any help to win this match. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think in terms of big points, that's very important for Djokovic. And then tactically, um, something I was thinking is that, um, again, he should really focus on trying to pin Nadal in that backhand corner. Historically, he's had success as well with attacking Nadal's forehand with his backhand's cross court. But in Rome, when he tried that, I really didn't think it was successful. A lot of the time, I thought his backhand was breaking down first. And Nadal was being extremely offensive with his forehand. And so that strategy wasn't really working from what I saw. So if I were him, I would definitely emphasize down the line backhands a lot and um, and cross-court forehands to try to get Nadal deep in that backhand corner, uh, mm-hmm. make him put pressure on him to do more with his backhands, which could result in errors. And it could also open up the point for cross-court backhands or inside-out forehands, down the line forehands into the open court. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the um, 
the forehand, uh, actually the the pinning uh, Nadal on the on the backhand side. Because now that you say it, like I feel like I've noticed Nadal um, in every single match that I've watched Nadal this uh, this fortnight. He's been. It's almost like he's practicing his backhand aggressiveness, like especially going down the line. So mm-hmm. I feel like something in the back of his mind, or like he's been trying to take as much of a of a time on matches that he he knows he can win and try to practice that that shot as much as he can. Um, I can't remember exactly whom he played, and he he almost dropped against Gasquet. Yeah, so it, it felt like against Gasquet, he was essentially using that as a practice court and to to beat down Gasquet on his with his backhand and I think he's kind of preparing to counter that measure as well like he, he doesn't want to get himself attacked on the backhand even though he has been known for since forever for having quote-unquote two forehands yeah um I think he he doesn't want to go to the um the moon ball like the resetting of uh the resetting the point with a, a high backhand down the line mm-hmm. um but uh, because he obviously understands that Djokovic wouldn't just sit sit down, uh, just sit all the year, um, thinking about the, that t- the twenty twenty Roland Garros match and doing nothing about it, he probably analyzed it over and over mm-hmm. for the chance that he might meet Nadal again at Roland Garros. You would hope at least. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think that he he probably would have made some tactical changes, and obviously Nadal would have um, tried to counteract that, like him taking the initiative as well. And I think his. Uh, against uh, Schwartzman as well, he played a few very decent backhand down lines. Of, yeah. uh, he took the ball early and took the initiative with that. But um, if you if you go back to um, even the Schwartzman match, did you get a chance to watch it? Yeah, I saw pretty much the whole thing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what do you what did you think about that match? Honestly, like I, I guess we can say we can pretty much divide this match into two sections: the first and second set, and the. Um, third and fourth sets because it's yeah. a totally different thing there yeah i mean i think the first set was sort of typical for nadal schwartzman it was like uh schwartzman was playing really good tennis and staying with nadal but then one bad service game was sort of all it took to lose the set and that came at three four but then i thought the second set he sort of continued his high level of play that was present for a lot of the first set and didn't really have a dip he um he was up three zero and then when nadal got that back uh schwartzman didn't let him keep running away with games. He reset. And then when Nadal was serving at 4-5 and 30-love, he came all the way back to break in that game. And I think what he tries to do to, to Rafa is a lot of what Djokovic tries to do, which is sort of really attack with those cross-court patterns and take away time. Um, don't give Nadal the chance to go down the line. And for Nadal, it's sort of a battle of, like, can he get enough on those cross-court shots or can he tee off on down-the-line shots when he can to, like, break the jail? And against Schwartzman, he totally did that for the last um, sort of last couple games of the third set and then the entire fourth set. He was pretty untouchable, lost five points in total. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that match is going to be pretty ideal preparation for Djokovic, actually, because even though Djokovic does them better, he does a lot of the same things as Schwartzman. He's a great returner. He's going to try to emphasize the cross-court patterns. And Nadal will have had practice at at facing those already. So I think um, in terms of their quarterfinal opponents, I like the preparation. Nadal has gotten a lot more than Djokovic's. Yeah, especially because if there's one thing that Berrettini probably did against Djokovic was definitely test his defense. Yeah, um, absolutely. Especially stretching, stretching Djokovic off of the... Um, 
uh, down the line to the, to his forehand side, which Nadal yeah. likes to do a lot. So I feel like Djokovic will definitely feel um, less space from from Nadal's forehand, even though it's the, the it's a different shape too. It's not like it's a, a less potent forehand, but like Nadal's is much more spinnier and Berti yeah. is, is speedier and flatter. So um, I think Djokovic would have would probably feel like he has a little bit more time to reach those and defend against those shots. But it would be a matter of like him trying to adapt to uh, to the spin again mm-hmm. um, and just trying to get um, have access to the that most muscle memory that from all those matches that they played against each other. Uh, and see if he can do something like against that as well. But if yeah. if we if if we're thinking about Nadal's match against Schwartzman, I think that if we pick Djokovic um, from his first two sets against Berrettini and Nadal in his first two sets against Schwartzman, I would have probably picked Djokovic to win um, at least one of those two sets, um, if not both of them. But, yeah, I, I could definitely see him getting at least one. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and um, and I think you're totally right about Berrettini testing his defense, uh, chasing down those rocket forehands for the best part of like three and a half hours is definitely going to help your defense. But I think an area that hurt him is that Nadal is a way better returner than Berrettini, That's and true. so Djokovic's serve is going to be under a lot more pressure, and that he's not going to be prepared for necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think Djokovic. I mean, he has to win one of the first two sets. That's non-negotiable in this match. Yeah. Um, and I think the more I think about it, the more I think he needs the first set as opposed to the second. Because on the face of it, if you trade the first two sets, there should be no difference. But I think winning the first is definitely better in that situation because when you win the first set, then you sort of only need to win one of the next two. And so I think the pressure fades a little bit. Um, But when you lose the first and then win the second, it's sort of a matter of having to keep your intensity really high or you're just going to fall behind again. And so I think it's a much better position to be in where you can win the first and then either win the second as well or lose that. And then your opponent is going to have to maintain a really high level while maybe you had to dip in the second set and then you can come back. Um, like, And I think we saw that at Wimbledon in 2019 when in the Federer-Nadal match and the Federer-Djokovic match, the eventual winner of those matches lost the second set 6-1 and then came back to win the third set. Um, and so I feel like Djokovic can sort of alleviate some of the pressure he's going to face by just winning the first set. And then, like, Nadal can get the second, and then he can come back and, like, really, really fight for the third, or he can sort of go for two sets to love lead if he can. Um, uh, what do you think about that? I, I think I agree. And I, I honestly think that um, one of the reasons why he would need to win the, the first set, I think most of all, would be that um, he, can't, he can't let Nadal get going. So he needs to shut him down as quickly as he can, if, mm-hmm. if, if, if at all possible, obviously. Um, but I think Djokovic is, is even more key that he wins um, the first two sets. Like, I mean, yeah. I feel like Nadal winning uh, the first set it's he puts himself a much closer to the the finishing line than Djokovic just winning the first set definitely but like I think Djokovic winning the the first two sets is definitely going to give him the edge um that he needs to play to like toe to toe against Nadal and obviously like in in a lot of ways I feel like the way we speak right now it tends to be a little bit pessimistic towards Djokovic uh he's a great champion but we cannot deny that Nadal is, is just a, a mountain of, con- of confidence, uh, like Roland Garros specifically. So it, yeah. 
it will take a lot to beat him there. Like there's there's no there's no way around it, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I so, mean, yeah. like like since 2011, with the exception of 2017 and maybe early 2018, um, Djokovic has been the favorite, and pretty much every match match he's played, except matches against Rafa at the French Open. Um, so that tells you at the same time both how good Djokovic is and how good Nadal is at this particular stage, because it's like the one place where Djokovic has suffered the most pain in his career is against this opponent at this tournament. And so it is like one of the very rare times when I think he is going to have to like be extraordinarily good to win or change something up. And I think um, another area of his game that's always important, but is going to be particularly important here is his serve because um, so we saw at the Australian open, he was hitting a ton of aces. I think he hit something like, over a hundred in the entire tournament, which is amazing. But on clay this season, a lot of the time he's been more rolling in his first serve and it's been doing less damage. And so I think in this match, he really needs to go for it more. Like maybe not as much as he went for it in Melbourne, but I think he needs to go for aces, try to get a lot of first serves in because um, usually in this matchup across the last decade, Djokovic will win the serve and return battle. But in his last few matches against Nadal on clay, he's lost it. And I think that's been a big factor in why he's he's lost the matches. Because, I mean, he is a better returner, so if he returns well, he should have that edge. But he also needs to serve better than Nadal, and I think a way he can sort of impose his better serve is just by like trying to hit aces. Because if he spins it in, it's not going to do its damage, and it's going to sort of negate the advantage and firepower he has over Nadal on the serve. So I really think he needs to go for it. And then like when the second serve comes, like just get it in and try not to double fault. Yeah, I mean, um, he probably will probably he he will probably um be on the lookout for like Nadal's serve position, uh, return position as well. Because yeah. even if he's on, um, say for example, like to return a second serve, I wonder where Nadal is going to be positioned to return Djokovic's serve. If is he going mm-hmm. to stand far back like he would normally do? Like it's it's a comfortable position for him to be in, but it also gives uh, Djokovic a lot more um you know, time to roll his, and you know, like a, a little bit takes a, a little bit of pressure off of Djokovic because he can roll his second serve a little bit uh, more yeah. and know that Nadal is not going to be there to take the time away. So he can sort of like roll it in and prepare for the, the rally and sort of like use it like more of a, like a point starter than anything tactically. So, mm-hmm. um, but if Nadal chooses to like step in and actually take it early and like be aggressive, I think this would mount on up a lot of pressure over Djokovic on second serve and on the first serve as well yeah and and like the danger with sort of spinning in the second serve is that even if Nadal doesn't step in when he stands far back he can take big swings he'll get the ball super deep he'll make sure he gets a forehand on the next shot so I was probably exaggerating a little bit when I said he should just spin it in and try to get it in like he's gonna have to make sure Nadal can't attack him off of it um at least to the best of his ability but I do still think he needs to be more aggressive on his first serve than he has been in their mm. last few matches on clay. So, I mean, it's it's a really delicate balance to find, but I, I guess he needs to find... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Find that line between going for aces like all the time and spinning it in, um, so that he can like get a few aces and a few free points, but also get that first serve often enough that to protect his second, make sure he doesn't have to hit it as often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about Nadal? Like, what do you think are his? Uh, <laughs> I mean, keys to win this match. Yeah, I mean, um, like if we look at Rome, something he did there was he served extremely well in the first set. He got over eighty percent of his first serves in, and in general, in their last couple of matches, like he did this in Rome and at Roland Garros last year, he like dominated the short points. He was being really offensive with his um, first ball forehand after the serve, and also uh, off of the return, his return plus one has been good, and so um, and that's gotten him a ton of points, and so I think. Like, there's no reason why um, he can't keep doing that. It's I think it's been a pretty sustainable strategy for him. S- but I guess just getting in a good percentage of first serves and make sure his forehand is sharp. Um, I think I think a drop shot could be a useful tactic for him. He doesn't use it as heavily as Djokovic, but if the rallies aren't going his way, it's always a nice thing to throw in there. And even if, if he is doing well in the rallies, it can just be another layer to throw in, another element for the opponent to think about. Um, I think returning well is also important. Like he did this pretty well in Rome, but if I'm remembering correctly, he didn't have a break point for like a span of at least a set. I think he had one at one all in the second set. And then he had, he had break points and ended up breaking it two all in the third set. But between those two games, he didn't have a break point and he's going to want to avoid situations like that. So I guess just, um, try to keep his lapses to a minimum, try to be in as many Djokovic service games as possible. Oh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think one of the um, key elements of this match is going to be um, just Nadal's energy in, for himself. Because yeah. if if he um, gets too down on himself and starts like getting his forehands, because Nadal is lately, I would say he, he's he can't get into a habit of rolling his forehands, like just trying to rely on spin rather than pace, mm-hmm. um, and. He can drop short, and whenever he drops short, like it's it's a big liability for him that his forehand isn't working as well. So I think if he can keep his energy up and and sort of like um, win the mental battle against Djokovic um, before he can win the actual tennis match, I think is is going to be his 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 primary goal almost like uh, uh, tomorrow to keep himself fired up enough like for the entire match. Um, and give himself another chance at a another shot at a, a title at Roland Garros. And by the way, um, well, I have two things. One about Djokovic's drop shot as well that you mentioned. Like one, I feel like if Djokovic start starts using too many drop shots, that's when a lot of people are going to start like putting their hands on their heads and understand that yeah. Djokovic is definitely losing it at that moment. <laughs> so, yeah. And the the second thing is. Um, do you think a five? Uh, you can answer that maybe later in the episode. But like, mm-hmm. do you think a five setter is going to be 
problematic for Nadal in the final. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely could be. His endurance now isn't what it used to be. I mean, there was a time when it wouldn't have bothered him at all, like 2013, when he came back to beat Ferrer in straight sets after like a four-hour, 37-minute semifinal. But now he's 35. I think it could definitely be an issue. Um, if um, I don't really think it would stop him from winning necessarily, but I think it could make the final uh, more complicated. Like if he played Tsitsipas, um, maybe it would take him a set to warm up or something. Or maybe he would have a lapse in the middle of the match and drop a set. So, yeah, I think like whoever wins this is going to want to get through this match without being taxed too much because they do still have another match to play afterwards. It's going to be against someone who's like 10 years younger, at least. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that match could potentially go long as well. Yeah, did you? Did you? I I felt like you had something to say about Djokovic uh, doing his his drop shots. As oh well. right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think his drop shot is an interesting shot because I think when he hits it well, it might be the best in the world up there with Federer's at least. But it's also become sort of like a weird barometer of how he's feeling. Like if he doesn't want to rally, he'll hit a lot of drop shots, and that can sort of result in like some backlash. I remember he really tried to hit a lot of them last year. But then in the final against Nadal at Roland Garros, like it really didn't do anything. I think like he won almost exactly half of the points when he used it, so it neither like hurt hurt him or helped him. Um, and so it just sort of felt like um, a bit of a desperation tactic that wasn't really getting anything done. And so I think like I think it's a great tactic for him as long as he doesn't overuse it. Like if he uses it sparingly, um, like actually makes his drop shots and doesn't put them into the net. Um, like uses them to keep Nadal off balance, then I think it's a great idea. Like, yeah, dr- he should drop shot his heart out, but also, um, but I don't think he should try it like on every point or anything. I think that's sort of a recipe for disaster. And if he starts doing it more later in the match, um, it could be an indication that he's not feeling comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, another thing is going to be different uh, in this match um, in particular, about like the past like year and a half and this tournament even is the fact that there will be fans again i'm pretty sure for their match even if it, it goes into the the curfew which is at 11 p.m yeah on, in france now um at least in paris uh they will have uh I suppose that like the Tsitsipas Zverev match doesn't go to seven hours long uh-huh. <laughs> have, like, <laughs> let's a, hope it doesn't yeah it, it's probably going to be at least like a a good couple hours, three hours, maybe even like the whole match with fans. Yeah. I, I mean, it's tough to see it being straight sets either way. So probably at least four sets. Yeah. Yeah. So you, do you think this is going to be something that will be in favor of somebody or will change nothing? The way um, you mean like goes? maybe fans leaving in the middle of the match? Um, that too, if you want to, if you want to talk about it, but like really just the energy that. Oh, okay. Being. Oh, like a crowd being back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it could help Djokovic because there weren't really fans at the French Open final last year and he seemed sort of low energy. Um, He's been able to draw energy from the crowd in the past. Um, I mean, against Paratini, it sort of seemed like he drew energy from the crowd even when there wasn't a crowd uh, in that last game. But um, I don't know. I feel like they're both so focused and so mentally tough that it shouldn't make a big difference. I think as a fan, it'll be nice um, to just hear people cheering for their shots. Um, but I, I think in general, both of them enjoy crowds. They enjoy like pumping up crowds. So I think um, I'm not really sure if it'll help one player or the other more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep 
I think it may raise the level of the match overall, but I don't. I, think I really hope it does. Yeah, I, yeah, but it, overall, I think I tend to agree with you. I feel like it's it's just going to be equally good for for both of them, or equally bad if the choir just doesn't shut up. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it, it won't. Yeah, so I feel like it, it will be like a neutral factor, but I mm-hmm. I have a feeling that it's going to raise the quality of the tennis. Yeah, um, th- that would, and be obviously great. the drama also was going to be a little bit more intense. It, it's going to be a little bit more palpable. Yeah, I mean, I think the crowd will come into play if one player like falls behind by a lot early. Like, I don't think this will happen, but if by some small chance Nadal were to go down two sets, then I think the crowd would be like a hundred percent behind him or close to it. Um, and then that could make a difference, like in the rest of the match, or at least in a set. Um, or like if um, if the quality is good early and the crowd really gets into it, then it could be a really uh, intense atmosphere the whole time. Um, but yeah, I think this sort of feels like more of a bonus, um, just like in general and for the overall products than it will for either player, I think. Hmm. And what about the curfew that you mentioned, like players leaving the stadium? It was already hard enough to get him out like for Djokovic Berrettini. Oh my God, How that was crazy. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, let's hope it doesn't come into play. I think they're starting early enough that it shouldn't. But if, yeah. if Tsitsipas Verev takes a long time or if Djokovic and Nadal do what they did in uh, Australia 2012 and take like almost five hours to play four sets, then who knows? Um, <laughs> I mean, that shouldn't happen. They're both older. They're going to be way more offensive. But if, if by some, um, if by again, some small chance, the curfew um, has an impact, then I mean, I think it's going to stink for the players to have the crowd leave halfway through. I think Berrettini and Djokovic said as much um, after their match. I think an interruption is going to help whoever's behind at the time. Um especially if one player is close to winning. But yeah, uh, that's about it, I think. Yeah. Because like right now we have, um, as per the app that I'm using right now, which is TNNS, you can download it like in the description. Zverev <laughs> <laughs> um, Tsitsipas is, is set to start at 8.50 a.m. Um, Eastern time. And Djokovic mm-hmm. Nadal is supposed to start at 11.30. So that's... Th- that's 5.30 Paris time. And the yeah. curfew was at eleven, right? Eleven, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, there is a uh, there is three hours, not three hours, uh, two hours and fifteen minutes, two hours and twenty minutes between one and the other. A two hour and, yeah. and twenty and minute. It, I, I mean, like know, knowing tennis, like even if Titi Fosverev yeah. is fast, like it's not going to start on time. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I think potentially that could move back to like six thirty or seven. But like even then, I think they'd have a good shot at fitting it all that's in. True. So, that's true. so let's hope it doesn't come into play. I I don't think it will, but it's Djokovic in it all, so you never know. Yeah, I guess my, my guess would be that this final, the semifinal starts at six thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, like it, it definitely, yeah, you would take them another six hour match like Australia for them to to for the curfew to kick in and how terrible the curfew would be if the curfew just kick in in the fifth set oh my god i know i mean like i have to question the cur- the concept of the curfew as a whole like when it comes to the tennis like packing them all into the exits in an effort to like get them out of there i mean would it not be safer to just like keep them at the stadium but i i guess they have their reasons I mean, it's definitely a government thing. It can it cannot privilege yeah, yeah. somebody because they bought a ticket. So that's true. I mean, I, tennis fan privilege should be a thing. But well, I'll, <laughs> I'll push it to uh, the French government after we're finished recording this podcast. But yeah. tennis fan privilege. I hope it doesn't fall within all of the bad privileges that we already have. In our oh society. right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, nevertheless. Um, so, what's your predictions? Like, what do you think is actually going to happen? I think Nadal's going to win in four sets. I just think 
Djokovic is going to have to do so much. Um, like, I think he's going to have to hit his forehand exceptionally well. Um, he's going to have to cut down on errors. He's going to have to serve and return very well. And it's just hard for me to see him sustaining all of that. And even if he does, it may not be enough because of who's on the, the other side of the net. So, like, it is Novak Djokovic. He's an outstanding player. He's recently breadsticks Nadal on clay. He's beaten him more times on clay historically than anyone else. So I think he will get a set, um, either the first or the second probably. But I think um, I think Nadal will be too good. Uh, his I think his serve and forehand are going to prove crucial again. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I could see it maybe going three hours, maybe even three and a half if the sets are really close. But I think Nadal will win in four. What do you think? I I tend to agree, honestly. I feel like I was going to say that Djokovic is probably going to win either the, the second or third set. I feel like there's mm-hmm. a... I could I could see a, a Nadal winning like a seven five six three and then Djokovic winning like a six four and then like six two Nadal in the fourth. I think it, it's a it's for me a, a possibility yeah. and yeah. yeah. I don't think I mean, Djokovic is going to be able to force a fifth unless he wins either the first two or the the second and the third sets. Which yeah, I agree because um because in even in twenty thirteen it took something special like Nadal was supposed to like should have closed that out in four. He was up a break twice in the fourth set. So like even that took quite the steal. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, Nadal in four just feels like a very, very safe pick because I think um, straight set seems a little too straightforward, although it could happen. And yeah. five sets seems like it's not going to happen. Um, so that just seems like the happy medium for me. Yeah. But, um, but I think at the same time, like Djokovic has played well enough that he could take a set. I mean, Schwartzman did it. And no disrespect to Schwartzman, but Djokovic is a better player. Um, and I mean, historically, Nadal raises his level for the semifinal and the final. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it'll be very tough for Djokovic. I think if he is going to get a set early on, it should be the first one. So I think he should really, really come out guns blazing. Like mm-hmm. in Rome, he managed to get a break right away and go up 2-0. But then he played a bad game uh, to consolidate. So things like that can't happen. But if he can start out really, really hot and sort of sustain that for long enough to get the first set, I will like his chances a lot more. Yeah. I mean, the the two scenario, scenarios that I think are most likely are actually the first set, which is, I think for me is the most likely. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one is Nadal, again, winning in three sets, straight sets like he did yeah. last year. I think it, it will be something that um, can very easily happen because if things go south for Djokovic... Um, he can, it, it could spiral really quickly because Nadal, Definitely. I think he's going to be able to take the chance and not let it go. Um, yeah. A scenario that I, I see Djokovic winning would be either in four or um, straight. I feel like in five, I would probably give the edge to Nadal. Yeah. And straight sets, I would imagine it's too difficult a task for anyone to accomplish at Rolling Arrows. I mean, Djokovic is the only one to do that, but yeah, it's, it is, but yeah, but it's not 2015. Nadal's the so. worst year, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like in a fifth, I would back Nadal as well, not necessarily because of any physical reason, but just because it's one set on Philippe Chatrier. Um, and that's that's where he's at his best. So yeah, I mean, I hate to say it because I do want to see a competitive match, but it does feel like the second most likely scenario is a straight set win for Nadal. Um, but I, I mean, let's hope they split the first two sets and then yeah. it's a competitive match. Mm-hmm. yeah i guess when i said most likely is like in the case that Djokovic wins the the only two scenarios that i can see him doing it is either in four straights i don't see it in five yeah, yeah yeah um 
Yeah, I mean, he definitely needs, at the very least, he he needs one of the first two sets, like yeah, preferably absolutely. both, uh, if if he's looking to win. But um, at least one of the first two. Yeah. So do, do you actually think that we're in for a good match, or is it going to be slightly disappointing? Oh, I mean, this is such a tough question. Like the fan in me wants to say, of course, it's going to be a good match. Like uh, two of the best players ever, like the the best ATP rivalry of all time. But I don't know. I feel like we could be in for a bit of a disappointment. Um, I think it, it like it has to be better than last year's final, right? Like that. I feel like I feel like that was like disappointment of disappointments, competitiveness True. wise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I don't think this is going to be an epic. I don't think Djokovic is going to be playing at a high enough level to push Nadal into epic territory. I think for it to go five, it would be because Nadal had dips more be- more than because um, they met on like even terms at a really high level. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, I think I think it's really tempting to expect like these epic rallies like they had in 2008 or 2011, but I mean they're different players now. They're much more reliant on their serves and their forehands than they used to be. So they're going to be looking to attack, finish points with drop shots or winners. Um we might see a few grinding rallies, but that's not going to be the norm. So I would um I'd say keep your expectations like cautiously low for Djokovic and at all standards. Yeah, I I I want to agree with that too. I think it's it's better to go in like expecting not much. I, we can you can we can expect a for a for set or which is going to be like good quality. Yeah. But I guess like if you go in expecting to see an epic, it's a good recipe for being disappointed at the end of the day. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, like I, yeah. I think the Rome final s- surpassed my expectations, and that was nice. Like um, yeah, exactly. like when the third set had that really competitive fetch in the middle. Like I did not expect um something that exciting to happen so mm-hmm. so yeah I, I will try to keep my expectations similarly low for this one and hopefully we get some vintage moments from both of them yeah um i, I definitely had something to say but my memory is just awful i don't even know why i'm doing a podcast <laughs> <laughs> um i don't remember what i want to say what i have to do <laughs> i i can just start naming random things that's that's what Again, i do when like, someone forgets do you remember something. when the last time we did this like i think it says slice and i remember something about federer that I oh yeah, yeah yeah that was funny it was really funny yeah i mean um we didn't really talk about the 2013 semifinal, um which i think a lot of people will be talking about ahead of this one there's true but do do you think that this final this semifinal actually has any bearing on yeah like i i don't really think it does um yeah. i think like a bunch of their previous matches like like we look at um like the seven and one record, but I think that more just shows it's going to be really hard for Djokovic to win than it's going to show what the match is going to look like. Yeah. Um, like I think before the 2020 final, Djokovic said like, I'm going to rewatch our 2015 match. And in my head, I was like, why? Um, it's it's going to be like nothing similar. Um, you're going to be playing a different player and like you were better back then as well. So, so yeah, I think it might be better for Djokovic or Nadal to watch like their recent matches on clay in best of three rather than uh, their French open final in 2014 or 2012. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too, because they're, they're different players, not necessarily because, well, they definitely changed some things like fundamentally, like tactically and Mm -hmm. uh, improved their serve here and there, but they're also different persons. Like they, they gotten older since then. And they definitely won't have the stamina to, if, if, for example, Djokovic sees something that works really well, but then he required a lot of stamina and um, athleticism, 
maybe he he won't be able to pull it off as well as he did that last time. So right, you know, it it, it can't be looking, you can't be putting too much stock in, into that stuff, right? So I feel like yeah, if they if they want to watch something, it's got to be the Rome final. <laughs> yeah, I I think so too. Or even like. Man, it's they really like even though they've been playing on clay every year for like such a long time now. Man, like when was the last year that they didn't meet on clay? Um, would have been two thousand five, right? Haven't they? Two thousand ten. I don't think they played on clay that year, but I think going all the way back to two thousand five, they played every year. Yeah, it feels kind of weird because even though they've played on clay every year in the past like really long time, in the last few years, it really doesn't seem like there's there was a match that's very indicative of like how they were at the time or something. I mean, it's been like one-sided wins for Nadal, which accurately captures that like Nadal's better on clay, but they haven't had like a really close one where they were both awesome the entire time in a, in quite a while now. Um, and in, in best of five on clay either. Um, mm-hmm. Like you'd have to go back to 2013 for that. So I think it's really tough to pick out an individual match that I would watch ahead of this one as like a representation of what to expect. Yeah. But I feel like, in, in all honesty, as well, though, um, all this pessimism and low expectations. The one thing that I guess I want to finish up with is uh, that at least watch this match. I think it, oh, it, yeah, you're not absolutely. gonna you're not gonna be disappointed enough that like, unless you're maybe a fan and your your player loses. Um, yeah. But then again, you probably want to be there if they win. So. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say for the record, I think these are the two best um, ATP players of all time. I think their rivalry is the best ATP rivalry of all time. I mean, Nadal is playing for history here. Like, he could have a 21st major be surpass Roger Federer in a couple of days if he wins this match and one more. Djokovic is going for the double career Grand Slam. Like, there's a lot on the line here, and these are these are still two of the best. Djokovic is ranked number one. Nadal is ranked number three. So I think... um. Like when we say we have low expectations, we um, it's it's because we're comparing it to like they're extremely high standard in the past. Um, like if they hadn't played matches like Australia twenty twelve or Wimbledon twenty eighteen, we would probably be a lot more, I guess, optimistic in terms of like getting a great match here. Um, so like yeah, like absolutely watch it because this is one of the best matchups out there even now. Yeah, that's for sure. Um. So yeah, I guess that will be it for this episode. We're really excited. I hope you are too. Um, it's all we're all fans here, I guess. So like, don't don't get too, don't get yourself too to beat beat down. Don't beat yourself down too much if Djokovic loses or if Nadal loses tomorrow. I guess the, like, the winner is tennis, you guys. The the winner is tennis, not Sandgren. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, I don't know if you saw this on, on Twitter. You can check it out on, on Tennis TV, um, the, the, their Twitter account. They um, this is the recipe for disaster a little bit because they had a, a word association thing in which they said goat and I I think probably like some seventy percent of the players responded Federer. <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised at that. I mean, yeah. I guess um, my first thought was I guess all these players don't look as closely at the stats <laughs> as we do. Um, but I think for a lot of them, it's it's not just tennis. It's what the players represent and everything. And I guess Federer mm-hmm. in a way was the pioneer of this era, even yeah. though he might go down as the third best he was. I mean, this era would be like impossible without him because he was like the first one to come along. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that could be it. He was definitely the be- the the greatest of all time for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say between like 2009 and like sometime in 2019, maybe sometime in late 2018. Um, yeah. He definitely had it for almost a solid decade. Um 
Oh yeah. Um, th- something I saw on Twitter was um from Christopher Clary. He was like, "What are your top three Djokovic and Nadal matches?" And um, and when I answered, I thought like Wimbledon 2018 still seems to be like super underrated by most people. Um, like there are definitely people who I talk with on tennis Twitter who, um, we both think we all think that it's like the men's match of the decade, but. I think for a lot of people, um, they either they either haven't seen it in full, or um, or for some of them, the roof sort of put um, a dampener on it, and um, and they don't see it as like one of the best matches ever. Yeah, do most of the, most of these people uh, are they putting uh, Australia in first? Yeah, yeah, w- which was weird to me because um, I mean that match was epic. Like that might be. It's in my top few of my favorite matches ever. I've I've rewatched it quite a bit. Like I love watching it, but like when you compare it with Wimbledon, it's like it's not even close in terms of the quality of play. Like the first two sets of Australia were like really filled with errors. The third set was one-sided in favor of Djokovic. And the last two sets were amazing, but I feel like in their Wimbledon semifinal in 2018, like all five sets were amazing. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, if you if you have time today, um, folks and listeners, go watch Wimbledon 2018. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I, I had to get that mini rant in at the end. Yeah, yeah. you're really gonna get pumped up about it about tomorrow's um, <laughs> about tomorrow's semifinals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Wimbledon in a rare clutch moment for their YouTube page have posted the entire match and like all the winners from it, which is like a half hour video. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like check check one of them out, check both of them out. Yeah, great videos. Nice. All right, so um, excited for tomorrow. Um, it's Djokovic Nadal number fifty-eight. Um, what do you think? Do you think Djokovic is going to win this and extend his lead in head to head and maybe go on to win Logaros? Who knows? Or you think Nadal is going to uh, maintain his supremacy and win his fourteenth Roland Garros title, which is is rather insane. He's, Nadal is about to have as many Roland Garros as Sampras has Grand Slams. Um, so. Yeah, like what do you what do you think about it? Like, just um, chat with us on Twitter. Uh, you can you can send us uh, a message or a, a tweet on at tw- at tennis and bagels, which is our account. is really easy to find. All, all of this is going to be in the description, by the way. And Owens at tennis nation, and I'm at Rollenberg Andre. And if I'm stumbling on my words because I'm really excited and probably really tired as well. So yeah, <laughs> have yeah. a good one, guys. And thanks, Owen, for participating again. And um, Thanks much for um, uh, keep pushing us to record those episodes. He's probably one of the most excited guys in this podcast group. Really, what do you think? Definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah. his enthusiasm for tennis is pretty unrivaled. I would say he um, he's enthusiastic about everything tennis, which is a great partner to have. Exactly. So yeah, um, yeah. Have a great evening, Owen, and uh, enjoy the match tomorrow. Yeah, you too. I can't wait. Thanks. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 